You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 101 covering The Nth Degree and Cupid with Brian Lynch. Friends, we're back. Hi, folks. This time, Episode 101. 101. Star Trek 101. An episode for every Dalmatian. <laughs> and speaking of uh, Disney movies, thank you for that, Matt. Oh, yeah. That does work. Our, our Disney movie blogging pal Brian is back because there's a Vosh episode and apparently you've got a big old crush on Vosh. I apparently do. I've already signed on for the uh, Deep Space Nine one, too. So oh, right. I'm going to be here for the Epic Vosh trilogy. <laughs> Ooh. Hey, it's listen, weird. I know that when you say Star Trek to the average member of the American public, they're like, right, that show with Vosh. The one with Spock and Vosh, <laughs> yeah. You say Star Trek, I say Vash. Star Trek, Vash. Vash. Whatever. Yeah, well, well Picard I, calls longest, her Vash. So. No, for the longest time, I thought that her name was Vash because I first found out about the character through Star Trek magazine. Oh, yeah. Where mm-hmm. they would do, like, those uh, monthly episode summaries. Yep. And so I assumed it was Vash. And then the first time I saw Captain's Holiday, I thought, I think I probably mentioned this last time I was well, on. Well, he's, I thought he's the only he one that addresses her by name, so. Yeah, no, no, but the other, the others say it occasionally, and anytime anybody says it, they call her Vash. Q says right. it, too. So I well, guess, I guess that's he would her know. name. Yes, exactly. Uh, Listen, if that's not the pronunciation of your name, I'll go back in time and make it the pronunciation <laughs> of your name. I have the capability. That explains it. Right. Uh, but before we get to the fun, we do one that uh, I, I don't think is that much fun, but Matt disagrees with me. I do disagree. And it's always yeah. a fun time for you guys when uh, when Matt and I politely disagree because we don't want to yell at each other. Yes. And I have no particularly strong opinions on Damn it. it. <laughs> well, then well that is the best reason to bring guests on the show, well, when then, they don't then... care about stuff. I'm going to say I like it. Damn it. I was going to say then we could spend the time trying to convince you to... Uh, to get a majority. Oh. Yeah, actually, that's good. State your case. It's like uh, three man. angry men. Damn it. <laughs> so All right, be Two win. angry men, one indifferent man, who has attempted <laughs> to be persuaded of one of the angry men's sides. They are angry for different reasons. You know, that is not as good a title, I gotta say. That's, yeah. yeah. Mine, mine popped a little more. Take that, Reginald Rose. <laughs> that's, so Matt, that's the guy that wrote 12 Angry Men. Ah, I see. Thank you. Matt, why don't you tell me about the degree? Or, okay, the nth degree. Or the, the, the nth degree? I always pronounce it as the nth degree. Very well. Why don't you tell us all about that? Okay, so in an effort to get him out of his shell and in an effort to remind us that he exists, Lieutenant Barkley stars in an Enterprise Players production as Steve Martin in the classic play Roxanne, where he completely fails to impress celebrated thespian Data. Picard can't even be bothered to show up, and he likes plays. Meanwhile, the Enterprise arrives at some place important that actually matters. The Armus Array, a giant space telescope used to detect evil in the universe. It's being attacked by some sort of jerk-ass probe, hassling it for free whales or something. Jordy grabs Barkley because he's around, and Data's presumably trying to teach his cat to sit or something, and they take a shuttle to investigate. Upon arriving, Reg gets beamed in the face with a flashlight and wakes up on the Enterprise. Everything seems fine, and Geordi's engineering crew starts attempting to repair the array, a task vital to the safety of the Federation. Without careful monitoring, tactical officers all over the galaxy are being thrown at rocks. (laughs) Geordi prepares his team for a long month of repairs, but Barkley realizes he can do it himself. He begins exhibiting strange behavior, like being good at things and not sucking, so Geordi orders him to go to sickbay. 
Crusher diagnoses Barkley, realizing that he is the smartest man in the universe, and that Dr. McCoy's boner detector can also be used to register how big your brain is. Some sort of emergency or whatever pops up, and Reg goes to the holodeck and plugs himself into the ship's computer because fuck you, everyone. With the crisis averted, Reg rips a hole in space and time and takes the Enterprise to the center of the galaxy, going as far away from that place where the original Enterprise hung out all the time. There, the crew meet a ridiculous bearded head that thankfully turns out not to be God, and it reveals that it's a race of ridiculous people that sent the probe so it could attract the Enterprise here, and they could all be friends. Meanwhile, Reg returns to normal and promptly sticks a phaser in his mouth, because seriously, what in the world could be worse than going from the smartest guy in the universe to not even being the smartest guy in the room? On the other hand, Troy throws him a pity fuck, so it's not all bad. <laughs> I don't think that's what happened. I do. In fact, I think several of those things are jokes and not at all uh, platitudes, <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that walking the Arboretum isn't some sort of a metaphor? <laughs> Matt, I think your thing might have been lies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've been entering into this in the same spirit at all. <laughs> Also, Brian, no. Walk in the Arboretum is not a euphemism because O'Brien has walked in the euphemism. <laughs> Brian has walked in the euphemism a lot with Keiko. And that does not end well. another old walk in the Arboretum tonight, if you know what I mean. <laughs> By myself. Uh, All right, God, Matt, I can't let's... wait for oh, God, I can't wait for Bashir to show up. <laughs> That's a wank in the Arboretum. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going with the Gav rule of W-K. Could be walk, could be wank, could be work. Who knows? I thought I was working down here. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, Matt, this is the place where your argument has to shine. Tell me the good thing about this episode, because I sure as hell couldn't find it. All right. All right, so I, I enjoy this episode a lot, but honestly, my favorite part of the whole thing was the Argus Array. Every time that thing popped up, I liked it. Shows this real sort of sense of scale when it's compared to the Enterprise. Okay, so yeah. you you ran with the the Armist joke, which of course we all know you would do, and you know yeah. it's good. But because your your summary sort of went in that direction, I think you should like explain properly what what that was. It's, it's my sort of array a... that I built. It's good array. It's big. I needed something to detect skins of evil in the universe. I was trying to build a ray, but I got confused. <laughs> I had the directions upside down. <laughs> I, I don't So, but really, what what was it like? If you're, you know, it's like a big sort of flat snowflake looking now, thing. It was a it was a Starfleet thing, like a a, a giant telescope or something like that. Is I that think right? that's how they describe it. Yeah, it's a giant yeah, space like, telescope. You mentioned it that it came up in uh, Best of Both Worlds. Did I? I think so. I I don't think that I did. I mentioned that Barclay yeah, came up in Best of Both Worlds. It detects oh. the, um, whatchamacallit, the, uh, like, like it's basically, whenever they're doing, like, super long-range scans, that array is one of the things they go okay. through. Was this maybe one of the things in the Cardassian episode where they were accusing Starfleet of not making scientific, you know, uh, observations, but actually using them to spy on uh, maybe. their enemies? Probably one be. of those. I think, I feel like the Argus array is one of those things like Rigel 7, where it's just whenever they need to throw in a random... Right, sure. Like, if they it's, need a planet, it's Rigel 7. If they need a technology thing, it's the Argus Array or the Daystrom Institute or something. But apparently it's super important, but not manned at all. <laughs> well, there, there's got to be stuff like that out there where it would just be too remote a posting for people. And mm -hmm. it's all automated anyway. You just send the Enterprise to check it out every now and then or whatever ship happens to be there. But, it, yeah. you know, I mean, the Hubble doesn't have people in it. No, that's true. It's huh. just a, you know, an unmanned now thing. Now being naive. Oh, well. <laughs> Listen, we don't know about Section 31 yet. Right now, it's unmanned, okay? Wink, yeah. wink. 
All right. So uh, what was your bad thing? Uh, the, the goofy head guy is just ridiculous. Like, I, I big, floating, a big wizened floating head with a jewel in the middle of his forehead. Well, what Brian said when he popped up was, you know, slarty part fast, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was the, uh, the Simon Jones Magrathea head from the movie. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> the, but, well, that's kind of the thing is that it's sort of like, we're just going to pretend, and he was he, supposed to be part of the super intelligent alien species, but he's kind of an idiot. He just starts, yeah. like, talking about what he sees, like, oh, bipedal locomotion. Oh, two eyes and a mouth. It's yeah, asking a question. He's oh. got that. I was not expecting to hear from you, people I summoned. <laughs> Plus, and, I mean, their whole concept is they don't explore the galaxy by going into it. They explore the galaxy by asking people to come over to their house and then talking to them. I kind of I kind of like the idea of the race of people who don't really want to get off the couch to go. No, but they want to know stuff. Oh yeah. I feel like this was the first time it actually worked and that's why he was so like <laughs> inexperienced like, "Oh shit, nobody's ever actually cut." Uh so uh bipedal locomotion. Tell me about oh, that. Huh. Well, they more... kept uh, they kept bringing like plants and cats to them. <laughs> <laughs> One of you guys mentioned that uh, the the closing narration said that they were there for what 10 days something like yeah. that. 10 days, yeah. 10 what days. What the hell did they talk about? Oh my god. So So uh how do you type without a body? <laughs> That's the thing. Wasn't that just, like, a call from the planet, and they were, like... Or are they actually giant floating heads? I have no idea. That could be. I kind of like the idea of them just being a race of giant floating heads. Or maybe he's the only one. Maybe he's, you know, very lonely. Yes. So lonely. <laughs> That's one of our going call callbacks last week that we forgot. In and, our greatest uh, hits episode. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe they don't, uh... Maybe they don't actually float. Maybe they just sort of bounce. <laughs> now this is the best planet ever and I want to go there yeah exactly oh god anyone else picturing Data riding one of them <laughs> I am well, now I'm, yeah he has a cowboy hat now you're just uh, <laughs> making me think of the Futurama episode where Bender does oh uh, yes <laughs> Data and Jordy are riding them Barkley's trying to but he keeps falling off his <laughs> bouncing of the third kind <laughs> and so on Reg how are you doing they turn around there's just a giant head with one of Barkley's <laughs> legs sticking out of its mouth you see, first it bounced He's 3 fine. meters high, then it bounced 1.8 meters high, and then it bounced 4 meters high. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Science jokes. Darmok and Jalad bouncing 3 meters high. <laughs> <laughs> I um I didn't like that they went to the center of the galaxy. Yeah. Like, it just, haven't we been there? Isn't that where Fake God was in uh, Star Trek V? Was yeah. that where Fake God was? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, I guess the center of the galaxy could be pretty big. The galaxy itself is pretty big. Yeah, That's I a good sing point. a song the about it. The center of the galaxy is, like, mm -hmm. you know... 900,000 times the size of the uh, sun. I just made up that fact. I don't know. I, there's Gav? a song, but I don't have time to sing it right now. But uh, there's, <laughs> You can there's... find it on YouTube, though. So, yes, uh... exactly. There's I, No, I just I feel like, why didn't they just throw them 50,000 light years in some other direction? The center, it just seems like a little lazy, like when the original series, uh, oh, we're at the edge of the galaxy again. Like You yeah. don't always have to go to the middle or the edge. There's a lot of stuff in between you could go to. It feels like the middle, and especially the middle, but also the edge, should be kind of important. Yeah. Well, and they made a big deal out of it originally in the original series because there's a, you know, there's a barrier and it gives you weird powers or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I mean, like going to the middle of the galaxy shouldn't just be oh, and there's a head that lives here. I think no, my well, biggest... the, the edge of the galaxy was the weird powers. Right. The middle yeah. of the galaxy was God, and the other side of the galaxy was I think like a wacky neighbor. Who would come over to the galaxy sometimes and like borrow their soap or something? But you well, could yeah, only he would see... always poke his head over the fence. Yeah, you can only the see the top advice. of his head <laughs> from the other galaxy. Exactly. 
Um, I, I don't know. They, they spent so much time, you know, getting there. And they talked about how they're going to exchange information and how the Enterprise used this new technology to get there. And then it never comes up again. You'd mm. think these advanced guys that traded information and taught you how to go billions of light years in a second, you'd, you'd think maybe that would affect Starfleet later on, you know? I like, think what I always go when, yeah. when stuff like that happens, I always go with Reed Richard rules, which is they find it and then they spend years and years studying it. Well, they do probably have guys... Back at Starfleet, who's we mentioned this before. There's guys who clean up after Kirk. Yeah, and then Listen, there's guys. Al, hmm? they have their top men working on it. Ah, yes, exactly. Top men. Top men. It's in a crate somewhere. I got you. Yes. But no, oh god, now I'm just picturing a head in a crate. <laughs> oh, what is construction? Now? Nails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Ark of the Covenant. And then Riker goes, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. Good thing. Uh, my, uh, good thing about this was, and, uh, apparently, this is another thing you disagreed with, but I liked the, um, design of the crazy controlling the ship array that, uh, that, uh, what's his name made for himself? Barkley. Oh, the wow. chair. Oh, uh, his, uh, well, his brain chair. Yeah, and, and I realized that yeah. the reason maybe I don't like this episode is because I really hate episodes when people make chairs in the holodeck. <laughs> but I was thinking, because he storms into the holodeck and he goes, control chair. Mm -hmm. And that's there, and... Um, and then he, like, adds something to it, and then they cut away, and by the time they cut back, he's augmented it into this giant-ass contraption, and they're, like, shining little laser lights on his head, like, he's, yeah. like, directly throwing you know, like, knowledge into I the like impulses. The, I like the idea that his brain is moving so fast that he has to create an interface for it that doesn't exist. Yeah, and, and I really, the, the, the line, uh, he has a line there where it's like, I don't, where the computer's like, I don't know what that is, and he's like, that's fine, I'll tell you how to build one. Right, no, I like that, and mm -hmm. I like that he has to build that. I just didn't like the way it looked. Like, the concept he, of it was neat. When mm -hmm. he integrated, I also liked the, um, uh, Picard asked the computer something, and Barclay answers, and he goes, computer, respond. And Barclay goes, I just did. <laughs> like, he doesn't bother explaining, yes, I've become the ship now. Right. Mm -hmm. He's like, come on, catch up, guys. <laughs> Lieutenant, why are you in my ship? <laughs> This happened almost three minutes ago. Pay attention. And it's going to happen like seven times in subsequent seasons. So, yep. you know, people yes. can just upload themselves into a computer. Why not? Look, it happens, okay? Apparently. I'm smart now. I can be in a computer. Uh-huh. Uh, and your bad thing? And my bad thing was, well, the, the first thing that he does in the holodeck is he uh, sets up a blackboard and Albert Einstein and shows him that he is wrong about something. Uh-huh. Which bothers me on three levels. One is that... They have warp travel and all that, so presumably Einstein's been proven wrong a long time ago about right. certain things. Mean. And speed of light is not the ultimate speed limit anymore, yeah. so yeah, suck and Einstein. so it seems like just, like, creating an Einstein to be mean. Uh, <laughs> a to, straw to, like, Einstein. Like, just to make yes. fun of him. Right. Like, like I might call up, like, you know, like, uh, Copernicus or something, and like, uh -huh. this is star parallax, you dumbass, you couldn't figure that out? <laughs> That's a good In point. Fact, didn't we, uh, didn't we recently prove... <laughs> Einstein wrong? I'm not sure about that, about but that? they they talked about a I think it what is it Fermat's theorem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's some math problem that was unsolvable that we in real life recently solved. Yeah, okay. although and the show fair, assumed. Okay. Oh, to be fair, we did not come up with the same solution that Fermat apparently did. Ah, so maybe they found the real one. Very. Well. I might also be confusing that with something else, but there was something where they talked about this unsolved mystery in the future, and we've already fixed yeah. it. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> no good for us. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. No, but my and my second problem with that scene was that uh, the the guy playing um, uh, Einstein is a pretty good uh, Irish actor, Jim Norton, uh, you mm-hmm. mo- uh, mm-hmm. most well known as uh, Bishop Brennan from Father Ted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like a lot of effort to hire an actor from another country and bring him over if you're just going to cover his face with the worst masky, plasticky makeup ever and make him talk yeah. in a fake German accent. Right. They, I, it's possible he was just hanging out. Maybe he had a movie. You know, maybe he was just around or he was a friend yeah. of the director or something, yeah. you know. It's, they never seem to be able to do old age makeup well. I Okay, I could see where it looked fake. I, I definitely can see that. But I do think he looked like Einstein. I think maybe mm. the guy's, the, the shape of his face and then the makeup, it did make him. Yeah, he did. I, whereas and, a I lot mean, of times they play famous people and like, you don't look anything like that guy. And then they did bring him back as Einstein in a later episode, too. So. Right, that was uh, Descent Part 1, where he's yeah. where Data's playing poker with him and Steve, the real Stephen Hawking and... Uh, uh, and uh, Newton. Uh, Newton, Newton. Yeah. Who's all, yes. Who was also played by a pretty good actor. Um, right. uh, Stephen Hawking was terrible, though. That actor, whoever that, that guy was, was oh, terrible. God. not very good know. at all. He was all skinny. They should have gotten Benedict Cumberbatch back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... And, uh, oh, wait, wait. Now I have mm-hmm. one final problem with that scene. Uh-huh. It's not. He's not showing up Einstein. He's showing up a holodeck recreation of Einstein that he created. Right, and the holodeck is for fiction mostly. So, so. couldn't I just tell the computer to make an Einstein that was slightly stupider than me, <laughs> and then act like a big shot when I show it, like how to you know make an origami duck or something? Well, and that wouldn't be too far removed from him making versions of the crew that are super impressed with everything that he does. Yeah, this he's been. Yeah. That's it's it. just it's more Mary Sue fan fiction. Only now it has uh, Einstein in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. the idea is that he looked at uh, that we're supposed to watch it and go, "Oh wow, he's smarter than Einstein." Whereas it's really we've seen him make stupid versions of people before. Well, right. Oh, he's so, a better fighter than Riker. No, he's not. He's faking it. Yeah. Oh, Wesley likes pie. Yeah. <laughs> well, Wesley probably does like pie. Probably does. Yeah. Does. I mean, look at him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fat. So I don't know. What he- I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. He looks like the kind of guy who likes a pie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I gotta laugh. I don't care. Doesn't need Not to be to anything. Excess, but you know, <laughs> he enjoys a pie once and again. <laughs> good, good show, sir. I think. Jolly good. I think actually, my brain was thinking of Stand by Me, which has the pie eating scene. Ah, yes. Okay. But they're not connected in any way. I've never seen that movie, so for all I know, you're making that up. No, no. There's definitely a pie eating scene in Stand by Me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was totally thinking of uh, Greed by Eric von Stroheim, which has a pie eating <laughs> scene in it. <laughs> hey, Matt, you know what I just did? I just made mm-hmm. a reference to something that Brian hasn't seen. Nice high fives all around. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll get you back in my summary. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'll get you for this gadget. <laughs> uh, so my good time. thing was, uh, I guess Troy's outfit at the beginning was good. She's oh, pretty. Yeah. That's all I got. That was a very pretty outfit. Now, and we've talked before about the civilian clothing in Star Trek and how most yeah. people just don't look. They, they're trying to go futuristic so that they don't date themselves, but it still just looks awful. Yeah. Pepper had a pretty I, decent uh, 80s sweater in a later scene. Like, it, it looked yeah, okay. Yeah, they dated like, the crap out of themselves with that thing. Yeah, yeah but it, it, at least it looked good on her. It wasn't like yeah. some jumpsuit. No, it did. It just looked like, like she was have, like, off the set pads or wearing, something. She was off the set wearing Gates McFadden's, you know, not wearing my Starfleet uniform outfit. Yeah. And her costume in the opening scene uh, looked uh, pretty good. Oh, yeah. Her, so. No, that's true. That is definitely true. Um, Matt mentioned since they were doing a production and she's wearing the sweater, you know, this is the Enterprise production of uh, Flashdance or Footloose or yeah. one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was you know what I thought movies. would be awesome is I've seen productions of Cyrano de Bergerac where they've updated it so it's set in like the Civil War or like World War II or something. Mm-hmm. 
Wouldn't it be cool if they were doing a production of Cyrano and it was set in like the original series era? <laughs> that would be Cyrano cool. Had, like, or like the red shirt on, and or like the movie era, right? Or like uh, World War Three, even. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, he's got right. his uh, his his crazy like nose uh, pipe thing. Yeah, and his or, and his big foam armor. Or during the post atomic horror. Yeah, there you go. He could be in that horrible, filthy courtroom with uh, the guy who rings the stupid cowbell. <laughs> I like the yeah, idea okay, of setting I want actually, the post-comic I want horror and having dress now. like us. Yeah, that would be fantastic as well. <laughs> All right. I'm going to talk about my bad thing now. Yeah, tell, go ahead. Tell us about your bad thing now. Make uh, okay. your case. I know people like Barkley for some reason. I just find him terrible. Schultz is acting. I feel like a Barkley episode could be ten minutes long if you cut all the terrible <laughs> stammering. He's so over the top when he's when he's smart. His eyes bug out. Like I just got an idea. Like you expect a cartoon light bulb to appear over his head. He's so broad and so just uh, not good. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things where I realize I can't make a logical argument. I can't convince you that he's bad. If you yeah. watch him, you will react to that or you won't react to that. And I just don't think he's very good. And other people I've talked to agree with me, but if you don't, then then I lose. Mm. No, I've seen him in other things where he's given much better performances no, no, than I, this also. Like, I don't believe that he's inherently a bad actor. I don't no. think he's good at this role is what I think. I think he makes some bad choices and yeah. I also think that I, I I spent, like, I watched these episodes early in the week for a change. I've been doing it the last minute a lot lately, but I actually did watch it on, like, Monday. And I've been thinking for the rest of the week, like, what is my problem? Why do I have that gut reaction? And here it is. In his first appearance, he had a nice little character arc. He's mm-hmm. got a holodeck problem. He's got to learn to get away from the holodeck. He solves a problem in the real world and realizes that he has value. Like, that's a nice, neat little, yeah. I need to overcome my, my handicap and, sure. you know. In subsequent appearances, he's just a guy that stupid shit happens to. Like, oh, Barkley fell in butterscotch pudding this week. <laughs> he just, there's nothing to learn. There's no character drama. He's going to be fine at the end of the episode. He's not really going to start dating Counselor Troy, despite what Matt said. Oh, no, I didn't think they were going to start dating. Or or having sex with her, even. They're just going to go for a nice walk in the pudding arium. <laughs> but, I mean, oh, this, no. this could have happened to anyone. This could have been... You know, if Wesley was still around, he became hyper-intelligent, or Riker mm. became, you know, like, it, it didn't... Oh, it would have been Wesley, too. Yeah, but the only thing you might not want to do there is you already think he has a, a special destiny with the Traveler, so that might be a little too close to that. <laughs> Captain, his his smugness is off the scale. <laughs> but it, it just, it doesn't feel like Barkley adds anything to this. Beyond my problems with the performance, the character, like, there's no point. There's really, it could be anybody. Barkley's just... A familiar face because he was in a popular episode. See, right. and I, but I think that the the thing here is that it, like, it it's Barkley because people want to see him again. Like I, I don't care that it doesn't make sense that it's just him all of a sudden because I'm glad to see him again. I like that yeah. character, and I, I like, like that they're expanding out of the main cast. Like that they want to have something that the whole well, no, crew is reacting to that's not it would be like like the wounded could have easily been uh, Riker's old captain. That's true. Yeah. Turning up. No, and we we love O'Brien, and mm-hmm. I like that Nurse Ogawa has shown up now. She's great, and She's you great, know, yeah. uh, Mister Mott, the barber, and no, we I mean we love those guys. I just Barkley is because he's a special guest star, mm-hmm. because he's not one of those people milling about in the background every other episode. He only shows up once a year, and it's and special guest star Dwight Schultz. I think mm-hmm. that makes it a little different. That makes it like ooh, it's a big deal. It's like oh, it's the Q episode. Yeah, 
Oh, it's the Loxana episode. They never had a Nurse Ogawa episode. No. Uh, but she figured prominently into Lower Decks. She was oh, that's, one of yeah, the... Oh, yeah, she was in... Oh, and she was the, in like, the... Uh, she was speaking of Barclay episodes. She was in the De-Evolution episode. She was pretty big in that one. Right. I mean, she was a monkey person in it, but... But, I mean, you have, like, one Chief O'Brien episode. Spider person. What's that? Still makes more sense than evolving into a spider person. Or a fish person, or... Uh, we'll get there. Ugh. Hey, I buy that Betazoids evolved from fish. Yeah, I... But why did they have mammary glands, then? That's a good question. And they do. Their costuming draws attention to them. Mm-hmm. No, that's a that's a fantasy thing. <laughs> uh, one one terrible episode at a time, please. All right. Why do they give I... birth placentally? Ugh. What hey, a good Al, question. Loxana yes. Troy's placenta. Oh, that's fine. I got no problem with that. <laughs> okay, just checking. Yeah, he like he likes her. Yes, I do. I like her in that way. But technically, that would be the placenta. <laughs> it wouldn't be her placenta. That would think. Well, right. Be, no, I understand. That would be, I, look, that would could be, be anyone's grandmama placenta, Troy. Really. Right. Look, it's a delicacy, okay? I mean, uh, you, some gach and placenta, and you've got a, a Klingon... you got a stew going? you got a stew going. <laughs> oh, now I'm starving. <laughs> now I'm picturing uh, Klingon Carl Weathers. <laughs> oh, I am too. Oh That's my beautiful. god, why can't that happen? Well, black dudes usually make the best Klingons. Mm-hmm. So you throw a forehead on them, and uh, maybe you got a Klingon going. Carl. <laughs> I just, I mean, I really... The, okay, if this had been an original series episode, I probably would have liked it. We've had a few next-gen episodes like that. Mm-hmm. It felt really completely pseudoscience. It was way over-the-top, sort of almost campy. Like, yeah. yep, Barkley is the computer. Whoa! And I, I think, Matt, you respond better to that kind of episode, whereas I think... I, as we go along, I'm starting to realize that I do. I actually really like the sort of and that's campy... Kind of, I'm, I'm, also, I'm honestly glad we're diverging a little, because we're on the same page so often. Yeah. I think one of the advantages of having more than one host on the show is having divergent opinions. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I My preference is mostly when people are acting dignified and then the comedy sort of disrupts that. Whereas this episode is pretty much, mm-hmm. I don't know, kind of kind of broad, you know, what's Wacky Barkley going to do next? And I just, I don't care for that. Also, Look, like I said, the, the side gag only works if the sap's got dignity. Right, exactly. <laughs> But I think Barkley is in- inherently a comedic character no matter what. Whether he's super intelligent, whether he's a spider, whether he's scared of transporter monsters, he's just inherently supposed to be funny, and I eh, I don't think he is. Mm. All right. But, all right, Matt, so let's let's hear your, you know, counter-argument to that. I, t- I, I talked about how much I like Barkley in the, the first episode. Like, yeah. he, the, he he's always, to me, been the guy that's like... Well, this is this is what happens if you join Starfleet, Matt. The uncomfortable guy who can't, who's not really good with well, people. Well, and like I say, Hollow Pursuits was a perfect episode for him. Mm-hmm. I I think subsequent episodes are not, you know, not as well suited to him as what I think. I mean, your your point is that like he doesn't sort of fit with this whole thing, and mine is just that I don't care. I just I'm glad to see him. That's fair. I guess it comes down to if you don't like Barkley, then you're annoyed that he's there again. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you don't like him, you know? Like, I that, like it, it makes sense you don't like the episode. I liked him in Hollow Pursuits, and I actually like him in uh, Ship in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. I think... Oh, no, that's another good one with him. Yeah. I it, One, because there's a lot of cool stuff going on without him, but two, because I sort of buy him as the engineering expert on the holodeck yeah hey you're the uh, yep. expert on the holodeck right yeah exactly uh, you guys come on cut it out i'm trying to get past that 
I, I only did that a whole lot of times. <laughs> well, and there was there was a nice moment where he's going and making his chair. I fucking hate it when people make chairs. And um, <laughs> God, I hate that. And uh, I tried to watch this episode three times, and every time he made a chair, I just stormed out of the room. Threw my computer down and ex- exploded like Aqua Teens. No, I it exploded um, like a computer on Star Trek. <laughs> Sparks flew. I leaned to one side. <laughs> Said no. Amanda flying across the room. But there was, I think, it was it Jordy saying, "Computer, where is Lieutenant Barkley?" And uh, Barkley is in Holodeck Three, which, by the way, there's only one Holodeck, and it's Holodeck Three. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think it was Jordy because yeah. I, I think What's I got the after James Three, the inventor of the Holodeck. <laughs> there's also only one transporter, and that's Transporter Room Three. It's the three. Tra- it's the three memorial transporter room. They just call it <laughs> Transporter Room Three. A little three. plaque in there, yeah. One of O'Brien's duties is to polish the plaque every day. Jeffrey Tubes 3. <laughs> but I think it's Jordy because he didn't actually, obviously, literally roll his eyes, but there's a moment like, oh, Reg. He might have. How do you know? Really? Well, that's true. But it's like he's in the holodeck and, he, oh, damn it, Here I thought we, we were again. over this. And then he goes to the holodeck and finds out what's actually going on. Yeah, it was Jordy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was a nice little moment. It was a nice little, oh, I thought you, I thought we got over this. Damn it. Jordy, I'm not doing this for my own gratification. I'm doing this so that Einstein here will realize how much of an idiot he is compared to me. Uh, listen, we've all done the straw Einstein, okay? It's, it's okay. been done. The c- computer call-up straw Einstein program 351. <laughs> well, howdy, I'm Einstein. No. Time travelers. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, there, there was actually a funny little uh, sort of, a, well, not exactly an in-joke, more of a, if you're a, a a nerd fan, um, which I am. When they're do, when they're doing the um, the Cyrano thing, and he he mentions that he's from Porta Nacelle, <laughs> which I actually <laughs> thought was good. <laughs> I knew you guys would get that. Uh. <laughs> so at one point, uh, they Barkley mentions his IQ, which is you know some ridiculous stupid number that can't a billion trillion kachillion. Are they still using IQ tests in the twenty fourth century? Uh, maybe they have better ones now. I, didn't we already decide those are bullshit now, though? I think so. I yeah, assume that so they, they... they came up with good ones. Ah, yeah, but they still well. use the same system. They, they measure it on the Gary Mitchell scale? Because people understand numbers. Right, exactly. Well, what it is is that 100 is average, right? I like think they... 120 is average, I think. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. I think, yeah. But the average person is a lot more intelligent in the future, like the... You know, fourth graders are doing the uh, advanced astrophysics and stuff. So. Yeah. Right, exactly. All right. So they're I like that smart del- now. I kind of like that delay there, Brian. It's like, what is Average is 100, right? No, it's like 120. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I thought it was 100. Hmm. Right, guys? Well, right. I'm going to go apply for some grant money now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I really was, because of my hatred of Barkley, I was hoping for a Flowers for Algernon ending. <laughs> Sadly not. Oh, tell Counselor Troy to put flowers on Algernon's grave. Oh, we just shot him out of a photon torpedo? Never mind. Oh, well. eh, whatever. <laughs> I think only Spock gets the photon torpedo death. I think everyone else just gets, uh, I don't know, thrown into the... Uh, <laughs> Thrown into the furnace there in, in engineering. They just put it in there. Yeah, they just that's the the matter antimatter uh, matter antimatter stuff. The the matter that they use as dead crewmen. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You just see uh, O'Brien wearing a pair of goggles, shoving someone's leg down a hole. Well, and I was thinking O'Brien doesn't belong down there, but you know he's he's the Irishman, so of course he's down there below. <laughs> yeah, that was my he's assumption. The one who shovels coal into the boiler. You don't want to know what he thinks that means. 
<laughs> you know, that was a double reference. That was Arrested <laughs> Development and our uh, our Arboretum thing. Yeah, uh, you go take a walk in the boiler room. <laughs> uh, you going to take a wank in the boiler room? Yes. <laughs> George's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I had dibs. Occupied. <laughs> Occupado. What else? That's that's all my notes. Do you guys have further? Let's see. Uh, if, I mean, I liked the episode. That's the side I'm yeah. officially coming okay, down on. Little... I enjoyed myself, but it, it was kind of like eh, I liked it. It, it. There's not really a lot going on in this one. Well, yeah, Matt, and and let me specifically ask you, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. so you liked it and I didn't, but overall, would you say this is a particularly memorable episode? Or oh no, like, I wouldn't uh, go that far. Would you say like it's a, it's above average? Would it make your yeah. list? No, I thought it. I thought it was a. Not good enough to make, like, say, a top ten. Yeah. Or even a top twenty. Uh-huh. It was, you know. But it was I'm a, it was a high point in the top belt twenty. I, I really. I enjoyed yeah, watching it. Twenty out of one hundred and seventy-eight episodes, and you would pick. Well, this I one? feel like if you're doing a top twenty instead of a top ten, you'll put on a few that are like good examples of an average typical episode. That's what I would feel about this one. Yeah, that's fair. It's not a standout, but if you're doing a list with that much leeway, you're going to want to put on some, like, you know. Joe Average episode. Mm-hmm. I will say this: I prefer, I liked it better than uh, uh, what was it? Devil's Do. Well, the last one we disagreed on. Come on, I mean, <laughs> I, I will say I dislike it for similar reasons. Devil's Do what? Uh, they rollick. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was very proud of you guys for making that rollicker <laughs> reference. Well, of course we had to make a rollicker reference. That's his name. Yeah, yeah. obviously, it's people have been calling him the rollicker for centuries. Yep. Who doesn't call him that? Uh, so, no, but I mean, what I, my point was, I wouldn't put it on, like, a bottom 20 list. Because I think, when we get to the end of this, because there are so many episodes, I think we, we did a list at the end of the original series. But I think here we need to say, here's the best ones and here are the not good yeah. ones. Mm-hmm. And this would not make anywhere close to that. I didn't like it, but I didn't like it. Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd say it was, like, a 4. It was slightly below average, but it wasn't, like, awful. Right. See, I'd give it a six. Yeah. So you think it's just above five, and I think it's just below five. So we're not yeah. that much in disagreement. You just yeah, six, six and a half. It's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly nowhere close to the next episode. No, on whatever no. scale you're using, whether you go up or you go down, it's uh. And see, the thing is, as far as broad comedy and camp goes, the next one nails it. I think. Oh yeah, yes. totally. <laughs> Whereas this one, I I don't think does so much. So do yeah. we have any further points, or can we push into? Uh, I think quote? we can. Uh... I think we, we can. Blah, blah, blah. I think we can move on. All right. What is your quote then? Uh, there's this scene where Jordy has gone into the Jeffrey's tubes, named after Jeffrey Tubes. Jeffrey two, three. Jeffrey tubes, tubes three. Yeah. The third. Yes. yes. The third. Uh, and Barkley is the voice of the computer, and he's sort of explaining, uh, sort of how he's seeing the universe now, how it's all just one sort of simple occasion or equation. And Jordy just goes, "Uh huh." I wish I could convey to you what it's like for me now. What I've become. Yeah? Try. I can conceive almost infinite possibilities and can fully explore each of them in a nanosecond. I perceive the universe as a single equation, and it is so simple. I understand. You understand? Everything. No, it's it. That's not a bad bit, and it's very like. There's a lot of 2001 in here when he takes over yeah. the computer, and there's a lot of what are you doing, Jordy? And it's it's definitely. Uh, I'm afraid I can't do that, Captain. Right. 
And he's wearing one of those keen jumpsuits that we haven't really seen much of since the first season. Uh, yeah, they had he had one in uh, the recent Leah Brahms episode because yeah, they're, they're, they're crawling both... around up there to show oh, yeah, yeah. the changes. It's that they're made. Uh, crawling in the tubes. Yeah, I think yeah, it's like a maintenance suit. Coveralls. Yeah, right. Uh, it's also what the uh, engineering guys used to wear before Jordy was an engineer. Right, and he's like, "Oh no, no, no. we're we're wearing uniforms down here." Yeah, like the last guy was casual, the, uh, the, but... the assistant engineer from the Naked Time had one yeah. of those. Yeah. Naked now. That guy, the, yeah, the guy who was playing Legos with isolinear chips. Yes. Yep. Right. Uh, hey, remember that, you guys. Mm. Yeah, even even though I don't like the nth degree, we are so far from uh, the naked now. I'm just, <laughs> yep. I'm happy to be here. At least. I'm I'm even happy to be here when it's shitty mullet rebels compared to uh, <laughs> compared to that idiot stacking isolinear chips. Or you know, space Africa. Yep. Ugh. We have come a long way, and in a fairly short time. Maybe. Which is nice. Uh, and we, we compared the next episode. We briefly looked back at the first Q appearance after Farpoint and said, Jesus, mm-hmm. this guy's come a long way, too. <laughs> yes, yep. he has. And to that end, Brian, why don't you tell us about Cupid? Very well. This week on Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Picard is a lecturer. Er. Yes, it's Archaeological Convention Week on the Enterprise, and Picard is all a Twitter over his keynote address. As he heads into his quarters to work on his notes, he spies a horgun on the table. And you know what that means. Yes, it's his young old flame Vash, and this time she's in his bedroom. Well, it's no filthy cave, but it'll have to do. But like Xerxes at Thermopylae, Picard is frustrated by the hot gates as Dr. Crusher walks in for that <laughs> standing breakfast. Yeah, see, I like that one. Walks in uh, for that standing breakfast date they're always all the time having and totally Jacques blocks him. <laughs> Picard leaves and Vash shows herself around the Enterprise, growing steadily more annoyed that none of the crew seems to know that she took their captain's special gift. Picard, meanwhile, is annoyed that what was supposed to be a nice quiet lecture is now sure to involve running back and forth between the water buffaloes meeting and Pebbles' birthday party. And speaking of which, hello, dum-dum. It's Q. He's so pleased that Picard helped him get his powers back that he's decided to reward him. He tries the usual gifts. New eyes, a Klingon woman, aging Wesley ten years. And almost gets him with a sweet archaeology tour. But Picard will have none of it and tells Q to scram, because he has to get back to the quarry before Admiral Slate notices he's gone. (laughs) That evening at the big lecture, everyone is struggling to stay awake, and they suddenly find themselves with quarterstaves, turkey legs, and silly hats. Which sounds like a party to me, but I worked at a rent fair. Before they can say Howard Pyle, they're in the Sherwood Forest, in the roles of Robin Hood and his merry men, with Q as the Sheriff of Nottingham, informing them that they must rescue Vash from Nottingham Castle. Captain Picard wants to go it alone, but like Leonidas at Thermopylae, he's backed by a crew of talented thespians, which is a good thing, because Vash is an opportunistic badass who sells him out for her own safety. Q, who set up the scenario so that he couldn't control the characters, is simultaneously impressed and annoyed at Vash for beating him in his own game. He uses his wiles to get her and Picard both in trouble, and the next day they're about to be executed. Picard is annoyed, but while this is sillier than the last time he was under imminent threat of execution with Vash, it's far less annoying because there's no Ferengi or time travelers there. There are several hooded monks, however, who turn out to be Riker and the crew in disguise. You may think it odd that they could sneak in so easily, but if there's one thing Robin Hood movies teach us, it's that Sir Guy and the Sheriff never notice when they suddenly have seven extra staff, especially if their faces are conveniently covered. So, stairways are fenced on, swashes are buckled, captains are smooched, and the day is saved. Back on the Enterprise, Vash comes to the captain's room to say goodbye. Picard tries to convince her that he would still know how to rock her world, archaeology sex. But, like Themidocles at Thermopylae, that ship has sailed. 
And so it's off to explore the universe, where we won't hear from her for, no, only a few months. That's on another series, so whatever. Okay, I gotta say, Mm -hmm. as far as blending highbrow and lowbrow references... Yes. (laughs) Xerxes at Thermopylae and the Hot Gates (laughs) may top that list. I've got I've got another one coming. <laughs> also, mixing mixing references to uh, well, I you know I was about to say three hundred, but you know what I mean. Yes, <laughs> mixing references to that and Flintstone references. That's my sweet spot right there. You yep. you know you totally just brought an apple for the teacher. So uh, <laughs> oh, and not excellent. not the apple either. <laughs> so good job, you. Raw. <laughs> uh, so we talked to Brian, or I talked to Brian before because you are the Robin Hood guy. I am the Robin Hood guy. I have a. Um... Well, I'm sure we'll go At into that point, in a moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, um, we'll talk about that later. But I, I specifically said, Brian, you, you only get three, well, actually. And he said, I'm, I'm probably only going to have, like, one. Yeah, no, because <laughs> what I love about Robin Hood is that it's so varied. Is that, well, look at the way that they did the characters in this, is that they mm-hmm. all fit perfectly in, even though they're, you know, still their own Star Trek selves. Like, Picard fits as Robin Hood because he's sure. the leader. He's, you know, known for being a little swashbuckling, but also very intelligent. Um, he's, you know, no, he's, I, he's a little more daredevil in this episode. than It normal, never but. felt too contrived because he is athletic yeah. and he is good with a sword. And, you know, like, and he he's can... got a noticeably tall, bearded second in command who's also very smart, but a little bit more uh, running Physical. in action. Mm-hmm. Right. They got Data's the uh, the smart guy, the guy who's got the esoteric knowledge, but can still fight. That's Friar Tuck. Mm-hmm. Worf is a barely contained simmering ball of rage, which has <laughs> several interpretations of Will Scarlet I've seen. Jordy <laughs> is Alan Adale. <laughs> okay, they chose, they chose the guy rooster. who has no musical talent whatsoever. And then, uh, you know... Uh, Crusher and Troy are the rest. Well, Troy is Troy is um, uh, useless in a fight and usually annoying, which fits most interpretations of much the Miller's son that I've seen. All right. And uh, let's just go ahead and say that uh, Crusher is David of Doncaster. Uh, very well. You did point out, though, that she was she actually doctored. She did doctor. That was nice. But Robin Hood has never had a doctor on his staff, so she right. can't be that guy. <laughs> That's um, why he dies. Yeah, no, but I'm... she does. Like, she bandages up uh, uh, Warfield. Wait, where did, she, where did she get the bandage from? Where did they the light socks. of fluid come from? No, but they, they were... Uh... <laughs> No, no, they all, the, they all must have wearing... had extra leggings or extra, you know, something. Yeah, but none of them were wearing mm. white. It was a white bandage that she... Uh, whatever. Maybe, she maybe to... Data spun some cotton somehow. <laughs> she has to because of one of my favorite scenes, which is where Sir Guy of Gisborne rides up on his horse, and without even thinking about it, Worf is like, all right, sword fight. Yeah. And just charges up to him and starts fighting, and starts he doesn't go after the horse because yeah. it wouldn't be honorable. Right. I... <laughs> I love that uh, Picard does this, Lieutenant Wolf, come on! And then both of them just sort of stop mid-sword fight to go look over at him. Right. Did you no, say I'm... Gisborne? I heard, there... I heard an oar. <laughs> there are a lot of those Hollywood sort of contrived, like, Robin Hoodie, you know, like... Uh... Did you say Boorns? <laughs> <laughs> the, the sword fights where they're clearly not trying to cut each other, they're just... Clanging yeah. swords mm-hmm. together. It's fine. It works here. It doesn't... And the, the main influence this one took was from the 1939 movie, uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Right, the yeah. Errol Flynn and, one, which, uh, until Bradford. Prince of Thieves was probably the most well-known one, I would say, to, to mm. us, oh, yeah. you know, non-initiated. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, there there were other good ones, and well, that's the right. the reason that they did this was because of Prince of Thieves. This was 1991, and right, Prince of Thieves was getting good buzz. There was actually there was another Robin Hood movie out at the same time with uh, Patrick Bergen, Uma Thurman, and Jurgen Prochnow. Uh-huh. Um, and the TV series yeah, Robin of Hood Sherwood had recently ended, which um, was uh, another excellent interpretation. Well, and Robin Hood um, is one of those stories like Sherlock Holmes and like a few other things where there's almost always some interpretation of it happening somewhere at some point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There are countless versions, as, as right. I well know. I have been in one myself. I was uh, I was watching The Miller's Son for one day. <laughs> that was wonderful. Um, so you're you're as useful as Counselor Troy, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Oh well, man, dude, cool. he's a guest here. Yeah, that's I, not cool. <laughs> no, I'm I'm clarifying what he said because that's that's pretty rough. No, I was I was uh, at the fair and one of the Robin Hood people had to be off doing something else, so they needed uh, somebody to introduce their show. So they're like, here, put on this vest and this hat, and you are going to be uh, much for this. Uh, oh. And I wound up just hanging out in that outfit the whole day. Good one. <laughs> Uh, well, so, any excuse to be a Miller's son. Yeah, any exactly. excuse to hand potatoes to strangers. <laughs> any, any, I think uh, we've all been there. Any excuse to uh, endure terrible much puns all day. <laughs> because there must have the been a ton thing, of We're all those. out of their season. <laughs> They're all out of their system, thankfully. There must have been very much of those. <laughs> uh, well, my, oh. my explanation that I came up with for my name, because that's just his name, in the, but I would say that sure. my name is actually Marvin, the Miller's son, but uh, I was always being introduced by my parents. He says, uh, uh, this is our son. He's not much, but I'm making something of myself, <laughs> and now I am much. <laughs> he is very much the Miller's son. <laughs> All right, Brian. Oh, so I'm sure you had tons and tons of good things to pick from, but uh, I, I what, what did, did you have end up a lot choosing? of good things. Well, actually, I chose as um, a Robin Hood fan and a Star Trek fan. My good mm-hmm. thing wound up matching up because, as I mentioned in the summary, Q makes um, the scenario so that he can't control it. Right. He creates the the area. He creates the characters, and then he sets it off on his own. Uh, he puts himself in the position of Sheriff of Nottingham, but. Um, he's uh, at a lower level than Sir Guy, who's the main villain. Mm-hmm. And so when Vash totally sandbags him by playing along, you know, playing the game and getting... Uh, yeah, he's like, uh, uh? Yeah, he doesn't know how to react. He's impressed, and he works within the system. He manipulates the people above him. He does it totally with just his own intelligence. Yeah, and, and we're basically um, looking at Q from... Uh, Deja Q, which yeah. he's he's not using his powers, but he's still inherently super intelligent. <laughs> mm. Exactly. It's, it's nice to see him using his cleverness in that frame. Absolutely. So you what I and what I like about that is that I I, I like that as a Robin Hood thing too. I like that there are versions where you know a lot of times the sheriff nodding will be like some fancy noble and he'll be like the main power in the region, mm-hmm. or there will be versions like the the Ridley Scott movie or the 1939 movie where he's basically just the head of the guards. And right. everybody else is over him. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of having one in that lower position who's still the big dog because he's able to control the people who have higher ranks than him because he's smarter. Right. Um, I really like that. And um, I also did really like the, um, uh, the the bit that they snuck in dressed as monks and that Picard snuck in just by wearing a big floppy hat because... Yep. Well, like I said, I, so many of the, the unrealistic Hollywood yeah. contrivances, so many of I, the, like, stuff from the 30s that just seemed like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Like, that just, it fit. So your bad thing? Uh, my bad thing was, um, okay, the, it, it looked cheap, a lot of it. 
Yeah, the there's a bit where they widen were... out and or cut to a wide shot of the castle, and oh my god, like the set yeah. they were on was okay, but then when they tried to show us, look, it's a castle, no, no, it's not. And no. then like they did like wide shots in the forest, but they still filmed it like they were in a studio. Yeah, if you're gonna spend the money to go on location, show us the location. Yeah, and then they also they they um they filmed a lot of the close-ups in a studio, so. Yeah. With, like, when they were, like, legitimately close, like, not just, like, the three-quarter ones, so... Right. That came off looking bad. Uh, Vash's costume was terrible. Her Maid really? Marian... Her Maid Marian costume. I just think she looked pretty. I don't know anything about... Yeah, she did. I mean, but like, that's so. just because she's a pretty person. I think yeah. that the, the fabric looked like... It looks like that cheap, shiny stuff that they're always sleeping on, just... The, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just used to seeing like, that at this you know, point. 9,000 yards of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, what she uh, got from the Farpoint aliens. Oh, yeah. right, right. You can tell because it the has The last gift of the Farpoint aliens was that they would always have an infinite supply of that stuff. But only that stuff. You can make infinite clothes, but only out of that shitty, shiny um, yeah. fabric. Well, actually, speaking of which, is that Picard's uh, bed sheets and pajamas, his gym jams in this, are different than the ones we've seen before, and they look they look super comfy. They look, like, nice and flannelly, and it's still a loose-fitting, waist-length robe shirt and tiny shorts, but mm, maybe it looks he's... like something I wouldn't mind sleeping in. Maybe, well, his or... Like your own. Like if I had a pair. Well, that's what I'm saying. If look, you, I'm you just saying see, if, if, you know. if, if are you trying like to get him Picard's pants? To... Is what I'm asking. Look, I'm just saying is that he's got a bigger bed than Riker. Uh, that's <laughs> that's certainly true. Almost flowers, got to use it. Flowers all over his quarters for some reason. Flowers all over. Riker's <laughs> bed can definitely not fit a Q in it. <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh, that's Although not I guess true. maybe if he shrunk. No, I, I bet he invites more than one person there. Sometimes it must be. You know, must be pretty accommodating. He just makes yeah. them sleep. Maybe he, on, can he just makes them sleep on the chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not cool, dude. I I think after Devils do, after he was you know, beamed down or you know, magic down or whatever to a planet in his you know in his gym uh, jams. Mm-hmm. I think nope. Not if, if that's going to happen, I'm going to look slightly more dignified, but still just as revealing. <laughs> and he changed them, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. We do get um, a lot of the captain's quarters in this one, though. Yeah, we do. We do, and his quarters are still the ones that most look like they're actually. Well, they're more. His. Yeah, they're more personalized than a lot of the other ones. They put a lot of generic, like one of our one of your favorite jokes that I also like is the uh, you know the best cup. Ah, uh, yes. Whenever anyone has right. a, a cup shaped trophy in their, uh, and they always do, especially they in the original that, series. They just got like some like hotel paintings hanging up on the wall, and yeah. Well, it's no different than the picture of the Enterprise in the ready room. Yep, picture of himself on himself. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone, the the, the plaque the plaque underneath just reads, "You are here." <laughs> What's weird is if you if you steer the ship, you know, a certain way, the the painting moves with it. Like it's you know, it's actually a real time picture. <laughs> <laughs> they always have a little camera flying outside the ship. Yes, it's a magic eye four D picture. Yes, um, Canva, give a satellite three. <laughs> no, it's always rocket number nine. Always. Rocket number nine, that's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Um, fuck, what was I going to... Oh, most of, the, most of the quarters we see, though, have just those generic props. Just those mm. those five things that you always put... A vase, and the best cup award, and that stuff. But yeah, Picards really have have props in them that feel like they belong to yeah. Picard, absolutely. Yeah, like there's there's architectural crap. Archaeology, and... you mean. Yeah, yes. Probably, no, there's probably giant buildings everywhere. So. Yes, he's he's uh, the Mike Brady of his time. Uh-huh. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right that it looks like he actually lives there, whereas Riker's yes. quarters looks like he sleeps there. Yeah. And they just they, they stick the trombone in a corner, and that's it. Half the time, it's not even Riker. 
<laughs> or like uh, Data's Quarters at least has the has the lab. Yeah. I like Data's Quarters because the lights are on full strength all the time. <laughs> that, um, that, I never noticed that. That's interesting. I just, yeah, he's got the lab, he's got a chair, and like one painting, mm-hmm. and the lights are always on, like so I much imagine... than And his, his walls are whiter, too. Mm-hmm. I imagine Picard looking at the electric bill and storming <laughs> down to Data's quarters. Do you ever turn these off? Jesus Christ. Do you even need them? <laughs> We've talked about this. No, he doesn't. And neither does the guy who visits him the most. <laughs> That's a good point, too. I don't know. I feel like Dr. Soong intentionally designed Data with lousy eyes. <laughs> because the human condition. Of course. And who keeps... Oh, so Data got lousy eyes and Lore can't smell anything. <laughs> Well, that's only because he shot a bottle rocket up his nose when he was dying. <laughs> Who keeps leaving the uh, force fields off in the shuttle bay? We're not uh, we're not oxygenizing space. Stop it. <laughs> All right, Matt, what about we you? We have a shuttle bay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, right, that kid whose name I never learned goes down there sometime. <laughs> Wally Wishley. Damn it. What the hell that's is his name? name? Well, he's name? gone now. It doesn't are, matter, I guess. What, what are some human names? <laughs> Jarl. <laughs> After he's been gone for two years, he just sits up in bed. Wesley! <laughs> Did you say Jarl? Jarl. That's a human right. name, right? Sure. Sure. That feels like one of those roguish people who shows up and nobody cares about. Uh, hey, look, it's Captain Jarl Fishley. Jarl Coswab. Right. It's one of those Star Wars names that turns yep. up every so often. The outrageous Jarl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, tell us a good thing. Truly, truly, I, truly outrageous. <laughs> This episode is just a lot of fun. Uh, it, it, of everything, it reminded me a lot of a piece of the action from the original series. Oh, yeah. Like, you just got a bunch of like ever like everyone's in a completely different setting, and they're all clearly having fun with it. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, every you know, I I bitch about camp. I bitch about you know contrived whatever. I had maybe a problem with about sixty seconds of this episode. That's it. Mm-hmm. Once they're mm-hmm. in it. They're all having so much fun, and I, yeah. I, it's written so well and it's performed so well, I buy into it. And winning over somebody like me with the crew is Robin Hood got, ugh, really? But they make yeah. it work. It's awesome. Yeah, you yeah, were, that you, feels like one of those things specifically made to piss you off. Before we started playing the episode, you were talking about how badly you were going to disagree with us, and then... Yeah. I no, I like meant you... over the nth degree, not uh, mm. not this one. Oh, well, that too. <laughs> no, this one, I... No change I, there. Matt's Matt's absolutely right that it is a blast, and you can tell the actors are having fun. You can tell that the characters are having fun. Like Picard, I what I expected was Picard, in particular, and everyone else would be like, "No, this is one of your fantasies, Q. We're not going along with it." There's yeah, about like a minute of that. Q. Yeah, there's about a minute of that, and Picard's like, "Oh well, fuck it. I'm gonna have fun yeah. with this," and he starts prancing around, uh, posing like Robin Hood, and it's awesome. Yeah, no, when he comes in through the window to rescue Vash and mm-hmm. does that sort of that very typical yeah. Robin Hood prance thing, it's just delightful. You almost exactly. expect him to that's, slap that's his actually, upper thigh. That's where my uh, yep. my quote is going to come from, but the mm-hmm. quote doesn't give you the visual, which is great. Which is that after a little bit of struggling on the ledge, is that he jumps in and leaps off the table heroically, and yeah. yeah. And you you feel like okay yeah he's French whatever he he's really English and we all know that exactly and he he is steeped in this mythology he knows what it's about yeah and he's getting into it right yeah, no this, this is it's not being it's not just that Robin Hood for him is like being well it's like being Sherlock Holmes or or King Arthur or right exactly Becky Sharp a, or Doctor Who yes oh I would love it if they if they did like a Doctor Who cosplay on the uh, on the holodeck or something <laughs> not as a this was an Earth TV show. 
This was a this was a great figure from history who helped out the English people often. <laughs> Picard's ver- Picard's favorite was always the twenty sixth Doctor. Yes. Uh, and your bad thing? Uh, the idea of Q trying to help Picard with his love life sort of goes against my uh, my ongoing certainty that Q is desperately in love with Picard. <laughs> Uh, then again, I can sort of buy Q playing the long the long con to get this to work, so it's not that bad a thing. See, I buy I buy into that premise, and I don't know if you're just being funny with it or if you actually no, I complete, that. well, he it, that's flat out my yeah, that's flat out that's true. I mean, it's Q-ways. funny on the surface, but I I could see that well, as a real. What does thing. he actually wind mm-hmm. up doing? He winds up taking her away. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's but that's I, definitely true. I feel like Q is more advanced than that. I don't feel like he's just gay. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, you know, he gets around with... I mean, the galaxy has a lot of male and female, but there's a lot else out there. Well, I've never thought that Q was gay. He there's doesn't crystalline have a entities and superintelligent shades yeah. of the color blue. Yes, exactly. I feel oh, like he's an energy he, clouds. He flat out admits uh, at one point in the episode that uh, he could have been a woman. Um, yeah, so right. He says, if, if I'd known that a female could fluster you this much, I would have appeared as one. Well, and it's always nice to hear from a woman. Yeah. But, um, I, no, I, I feel like he gets it on with whoever, that he's just currently into Picard, and that's why it doesn't yeah. feel too out of character that he then hooks up with Vash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, it's like, well, you're interesting, and clearly Jean-Luc is into you. Let's see what you're about. Right. But, yeah, you're right. He's playing the long con. He's like, I'll be back. Yeah. I'm going to get you alone in that courtroom at some point again. Mm-hmm. And we're Someday gonna get you'll kiss time. me like that, Picard. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, Please. we should mention that. Patrick Stewart was into that. Yeah, every time yeah. We, we saw him kiss Vosh, which I think it was once at the beginning and once at the end, that mm-hmm. was not a stage kiss. That was not a turn away from the camera and imply a kiss. There was open mouth. Well, like, the, yeah. first, the first time, it was like a really, really small one, and he didn't move that much. And I was like, all right, mm-hmm. 1980s TV kiss. But then it was like, yeah. she was sort of like testing the water, and then they were both like, fuck it, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally like that. Like, they had to edit those sounds out. (laughs) No, Patrick Stewart's a pro. He wouldn't make those sounds. (laughs) The greatest sword fight in this episode was their tongues. (laughs) And then Bever turns up, and we just get the most delightful, nervous Patrick Stewart acting. Well, and that, oh my god, that was adorable. That leads right into my good thing, actually, which the first couple of acts before Q even shows up are fantastic. Really There's so are. much it's... like great character comedy. I love it when these guys seem like friends, and I think we're far enough along that we buy that, and it's not yeah. like they've been serving yeah. together two weeks and they're all best pals. And the, like Riker and Deanna, we've mentioned that before. I, this is Crusher's sweet spot, too, where she's not always the She's the weakest actor of the of the seven, I think, but when she's given Picard a hard time, when there's those little looks and those little smirks, yeah. she's perfect. Yeah. And, and yeah, when when she walks in and Vash is there and, and Picard's almost like trying to stand in front of Vash so she can't see her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, oh, who's this? <laughs> no, I just and then Vash also man, gives but... her like a great little like, oh. Uh-huh, oh, who's this? Yeah. yeah. No, and, and it's great because there's sort of this baton passing thing where Crusher takes her off on a on a tour of the ship, and then she passes her on to Riker. Let's <laughs> make sure everyone gets a little time with the captain's new girlfriend. And, and they're they, all just it, it's also rubbing great salt in the wound. As soon as they go off together, Bever and Vash, Picard's just like, shit. Oh, God. And he's got, like, the great, like, this is, like, it's gotta be such a difficult part to play, which is he is so perfectly playing the emotion of the captain is happy because yep. he's going mm-hmm. to have sex tonight, and he knows it. 
But the yep. crew can't know but, that he's happy because he's a very private man. Because he's yes. a pri- yeah, and and it makes sense is that like he does not like it's not like Gur Vash is here and that's annoying. It's right. Sweet Vash is here, but I am still the captain and I've got to yeah. maintain an air of etc. Well, and that's and also I have this important speech to do. Today. Right, I have this important boner to have. <laughs> That'll we have to be dealt with later. Right. This bone is not going to have itself, you know. Wait, <laughs> what? Q shows up. You know, I can make that happen <laughs> if you want. That'll Wrong repay my debt, right? No. Uh, I but there's there's so much there's so much to love character wise. Before, like I said, mm-hmm. I I do enjoy genuinely like the Robin Hood stuff. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But you could have done an entire episode where the main plot is Vash shows up and everyone reacts for an hour, and then you have some B plot or some danger happens or whatever. Yeah, yeah like someone's trying to steal something yeah, or something. Well, well, isn't isn't, isn't something. that, isn't that pretty go. much what her next episode is? Yeah. She turns up but with some hot merchandise. and Probably a Bajoran orb. I don't remember exactly, but it's yeah. probably that. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I just, I think even before the fantastical stuff happens, just on a character level, just on a, yeah. these are human beings acting, you know, like funny, real human beings. It was mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, so where she gets onto the bridge and Worf, like, immediately gets like a, whoa, okay, this is security stuff. I and then didn't like, know that, uh, that the stranger danger were allowed, to, were allowed yeah. up here. And then, and then someone's like, oh, she's a friend of the captain. And he's like, oh, well then. Well, I guess I better start being nice to you then. And there's a great vibe among all of them, like, when they hear who she is, wait, he has friend. he has, wait, what? What's going on here? You feel like there is Command Picard, who is, is mm-hmm. a persona he's been working on his entire life. He is very mm-hmm. serious. He's, he doesn't have fun. He doesn't like children. And then you have Vacation Picard, where he relaxes, and that's the only Picard that Vosh knows. Yep. And where he cuts so loose. It's, jarring. Footloose. it's like, it, it, uh, or flash dance. One of where them, he, I don't know. Yes. Where he kicks off his Sunday shoes. <laughs> Please, Louise. All right. Um, <laughs> but you feel like he's so rarely, like, she visits him at his job. And I don't know about you guys, but I am a very different person at my job than I am not at oh, my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if someone who's important to you who never knew that side of you showed up at your job, it would be weird. It would be like, yeah. this. you're conflicted because you have two very distinct personas and you don't want people to see the other one that they haven't seen. Right, so even though his urge is to get all tongue-wrestly with her... Yeah, he's like, oh, shit, I can't... Riker would never let me hear the end of that. He practically, you know, went with a firm handshake when she was on the bridge. Right. Well, nice to see you. Sitting in his chair. Oh, man. Man, could she sit in a chair? Let's let's very briefly discuss her legs, won't we? Well, I'll I'll just put it this way. Even Worf mentions them. Yeah. Yeah. That that was my okay. problem with her uh, Maid Marian costume, is they put her in a long skirt. But isn't that <laughs> vaguely period correct? Like, there wasn't a lot of revealing female clothing. I don't clothing care. Like I, didn't get, I didn't get enough of her legs in the first 20 minutes. That's fair. I am a man. All right, fair enough, yeah. She was so, wearing a very Sometimes 80s... I think man things. <laughs> well, if, if Q had known that, he would have shown up as a woman. Oh. Yeah. I, 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 she was wearing this really 80s businesswoman power suit. In the beginning, it was missing shoulder pads, but otherwise, that's what it looked like. And it only had one silver lapel, and the other side was lapelless. Right. Well, I think that's what made it futuristic. <laughs> yes. Oh well. But I, I think it dates the episode a little bit. But I also think I can't imagine a better outfit for her. It showed off everything she had perfectly, and you know, <laughs> it's really nice. She's, mm-hmm. you know, 
She's attractive. She's a good-looking lady. Yes, she is. And you quote, buy the Picard's uh, into her. season six, Captain Picard, she's a very handsome woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you say about old ladies when you're trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah. That's just insulting. <laughs> But then, like, so then Q shows up and everything goes in a whole other direction, and that's great, too. It's just, I, Matt had mentioned, you almost feel like they shouldn't have put Q in the title. Because yeah, got, no, I agree. you got 20 minutes where this is the situation, you think, okay, settle in, here we go. Well, and then what, Q shows up, and that takes it to a whole other level. You're like, whoa. All right, so my bad thing, well, as the guy who doesn't like whimsy, I gotta at least, I gotta at least say this. Most of the comedy was great. Most of the fun swashbuckling was great. Worf was not. Worf's so broad. I am not a merry man. Thank you. Print up the t-shirts now. It just, it felt so pandering to me. Look, he's angry. He hates it. He just smashed Jordy's little ukulele. Shut up, Brian. I don't care what it's actually called. Um, Mandolin. Uh-huh. I, it just feels like a flimsy, just, uh, look, it's funny. Eh? And so much of it was legitimately funny that it just felt too broad for me. There was a little I mean, bit of that. It definitely felt like a trailer joke. Yeah, exactly. And it was only Worf. It was like it was like Chekhov's laugh lines in Star Trek Six. Mm-hmm. Mm. It felt sort of tacked on. Like here's some catchphrases. And I, I didn't... you're you're not wrong, but it didn't bother me nearly as much as it bothered you. I th- I thought him smashing the the mandolin was funny. Here's, here's I like the... the smashing the mandolin because uh, I think that I don't you don't get many legitimate pop culture references on Star Trek, and if there's ever an episode that could get away with it, it was this, and that was based on mm. the. Bluto smashing the guitar in Animal House. Right. I'll say it, this, though. Worf totally made up with uh, for it when he uh, was nice legs for a human. Yeah. Well, yeah, on the on the ship he was fine. Yeah. It was just two fish out of water where everyone else just completely fit in and, and you know, just got into their roles. And, no, I'm not going to. I'm the I, mean It's one. actually a very Worf attitude, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but I also think it's a very Picard and Riker attitude. In the past, it has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while I loved it, while I loved it, why did they choose this time to just go with it? I feel like, despite the fact that it came from Q, who he hates more than anything, I feel like yeah. he would have yep. at least gotten into the fun of, like, I'm in an era where it's acceptable for me to carry a sword. I got to fight a horse today. Right. <laughs> and I feel, I, like, I feel like he would get into it. Yeah, I think Klingon culture is probably not too far removed from this. Everyone's just riding around and cutting each other and yelling at each other and, you know. Right, and we know Wolf doesn't like that. Right. Yeah. And singing songs about people they killed, and it totally seems like something, you know. Well, no, because they can't do that because he broke Jordy's mandolin. Oh, right. Jordy kills a guy Jordy could barely play it. Well, yeah, but this is all effectively a holodeck simulation. Yeah, so I guess that's why he felt okay about it, but still, it's it's pretty pretty surprising to see Jordy just straight up stab a dude in the chest. As much as I liked everyone, you know, having fun in their roles and stuff, because of the way the episode was arranged, because of all the focus you had, because all the stuff going on, mm-hmm. you didn't get much time with the crew being the crew. Yeah, that was and too that, bad. I thought that was a missed got, opportunity. Like, one little bit, but yeah, but that was a missed opportunity. If you had a whole episode to play with that, I think you could have had a lot more fun with it. Mm-hmm. Riker doing. I mean, stuff both and... the beginning of this episode and the end of this episode could have benefited from being just full episodes. Yeah, exactly. It's just jam packed with stuff. And on the other hand, those are my favorite kind of episodes. Yeah, that's why I love the Tholian Web back in the original series. That's why I like Q Who. When they cram like every act is just so great, it could be an episode on its own. I love that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and this one, I mean, like it seems like weird because like they usually save their two parters for huge events, but if they did an episode where Vash causes shenanigans at the architectural reference and an episode where they are all Robin Hood, right. rather than a half yeah, it would, episode it would each, end. yeah, it could have really worked. 
it would end with, uh, we're in Sherwood Forest, dun, dun, dun. And then the yeah. next one would pick up with all the Robin Hood mm. stuff. No, that would, that would have been <laughs> fun. And all the... with, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Picard's completely oh. non-classy reaction to Q changing his pants while he's talking. Oh, that would have been perfect. I love that. This is, this is the exact line. It's not like some Picard, like, what's going on here? It's just, yeah. what the hell? This is Heidi Let's hold this. <laughs> No, this, I, the thing is, once we get past Hide and Q, mm-hmm. which is even a terrible title, as we pointed out at the time. Yeah, there's nothing good about Hide and Q. All the other Q episodes are great. Yep. He's just a great character, and they almost always use him to, you know, his full mm-hmm. advantage. And he's so, he's such a great foil for Picard, because Picard hates things that he can't control. He right. hates situations where he doesn't, isn't completely in charge. And mm-hmm. yep. it's always great watching him, like, like in this episode. Mm-hmm. And Q's where, all about, and that's... It, it, it's like he's not um, a control freak. He's not like Picard goes into the situation where Q is controlling everything because right. that's what they did with hiding Q, and that's why that wasn't great. Whereas with Q, who he just throws them into the middle of chaos. In this one, he makes a scenario he can't control in Tapestry. Right. He goes into Picard's past, which already happened, and makes right. Picard change things. It's never like Q takes control. He just makes crazy shit happen. No, he, he throws him in a situation and like, here, now you deal with it. Whereas in that Which, one where it was all penalty boxes and uh, revolutionary yeah. war pig people, and like that doesn't, yep. it doesn't feel right because, as we no, later it, learned, that's not what works with Q. No, and and it felt very original series. It felt like yeah. I'm an impish guy who's going to show up and do some weird shit and then go away again. Even in yeah. all good things, he didn't make the anomaly. No. He he put Picard jumping through time, but then Picard was the one that was responsible for the creation of the anomaly when it all came and, down to it. And the revelation that Q was <clears throat> leading him through and helping him really said a lot about, like, retroactively you can see, mm-hmm. he's always sort of secretly helping him while he's being a pain in the ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a nice multi-layered thing, and Matt's interpretation is because, you know, he wants to get him into bed. And there is yeah. no other character that could have pulled off the line, your little trek through the stars, and not oh, sounded God, stupid. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It worked but, I mean, when he said it. It works it for Q work. because he knows he's in Star Trek. Whereas in the next yes. uh, movie, which I liked more than Al, but when James Crowell yeah. says, you're all space-bound, some kind of a Star Trek. I now like, I'm going to drink whiskey and listen to rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> God, I hate that. That's a great James <laughs> Cromwell impression you just did. Yeah, well. That'll, Spot on. That'll do, Al. That'll do. That's, uh, <laughs> At, at, at least it's probably closer to the original Zephyr Cochran than he was, but we'll, we'll get there. Now, Q as a villain is great, and then seeing him as the Sheriff of Nottingham, which is a different kind of villain, mm-hmm. was also great. And he like, Delancey just carries whatever they give him. What's that? He, he owned it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, totally. And he rocked mm-hmm. that beard. Yeah. They all, like, Picard's little beard. I love that. Yep. It was adorable. I liked, it. I liked his uh, uh, Admiral Picard in the fake future Riker episode. He, mm-hmm. he looks good with the beard. Oh, that's beard. true. Yeah, I liked his big shaggy beard uh, yes, when exactly. he had that uh, in the uh, in the the anti time future. Right. No, it's fantastic. Why, um, doesn't, why doesn't Patrick Stewart just grow a beard? I think he has. I think. Yeah, occasionally he has one. I think Patrick Stewart has right. one right now. I right now. <laughs> okay, so uh, do you have a quote for us then? Uh, I do have a quote. This is. Um, I did not envy you trying to find one quote because there were. <laughs> 15 yeah. I would have picked. There was a lot of good in here. Um, uh, there, was, there was a lot of good stuff. There was a lot of good stuff with uh, the, the early part of the episode um, mm-hmm. to choose from, but I find, I decided, I figured I had to go with the Robin Hood part of the episode. Sure. And um, 
uh, I chose this where Picard is um, attempting to uh, uh, rescue Vash with his great plan, and he's more than a little defensive about said plan, so here it is. You mean you came here alone? That's right, now come on! What plan is that? It's an excellent one, if you just hurry up! <laughs> yeah, that's, and he's just so completely into the role. Of course this is yeah. going to work. And Why wouldn't this, it work? This is the scene we were talking about earlier where they, um, uh, where, where he was, like, leaping off the table and... Right. I guess I'm just Robin Hood then. <laughs> Fine, let's do this. All right. Well, Brian, uh, do you want to tell us about said Robin Hood blog and, uh, and the other project you're working oh, on right yeah, now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my Robin Hood blog, is, it's, it's mostly defunct. I was doing it a few years ago where uh, I watched a bunch of Robin Hood movies. I think yeah, I, but if people if people want to read, you yeah, know, if you want to read keep talking the, about you as the Robin Hood guy, and if they want to read your, the your classics review of I this. Did, then, well, I mean, yeah. I'm just looking at it now. Apparently, I did... Uh, let's see. Yeah, we know how your memory is. Apparently, no, no, I wrote at, this. Uh, 15. <laughs> I, I reviewed 15 separate Robin Hood movies, TV series and all. Um basically mm-hmm. I only did like three or four a year, but um uh-huh. uh it was uh it was enjoyable and I reviewed them based on the strength of how they interpreted the different characters. Which right. like I said is they had, you know, the specific approach they did. So I've done the classic uh, 1939 movie, I've done the episode of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show that they uh did. <laughs> oh god. Oh, I've done a couple episode, TV shows, a couple of books. So there's uh uh, the silent movie, which was fucking terrible. <laughs> so uh, there, there's there's a lot of stuff there. That's at robinhoodmovies.blogspot.com. All right. And if you also enjoy, uh, I'm, I'm actually I've got a new one ready to go up. I'm going to put it up in celebration of this uh, podcast appearance. Very so well. look forward to that. And uh, there, I also do. Uh, I'm reviewing every of uh, the uh, Disney animated canon this year at mm-hmm. the imaginatively titled all the Disney movies.blogspot.com. So you can Very check well. out my Robin Hood review on there, and I'm going to be posting The Little Mermaid the night we record this, and The Rescuers Down Under on the night this goes up. So there you go. Very well. All right, well, now that we've done our first six-hour episode. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that was a long one. Uh, Holy shit. Next week we will be dealing with two episodes that I have no idea what they are, and our pal Brewtown Andy will be joining us, so look Hoorah. forward to that. Uh, we have links to our app and our book on our website now. It's no longer a secret how to get those things. The links are prominent, finally. You don't have I'm to answer idiot. that troll's riddle anymore? No, the quiz <laughs> question's three. Now you can just click and buy, which is great. And that is all for now. And, uh, Brian, why don't you say a catchphrase to take us out? Um, to the Greenwood! The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.